This is BizNow Reports. I'm Miriam Hall. On this podcast, we examine issues facing the global real estate industry and the economy at large. In our final episode for the year, we're hearing from some of Miami's best-known developers. Related groups George and John Paul Perez sat down with BizNow London editor Mike Phillips at their office to talk about the impact of the influx of people and businesses to the region, dealing with the monumental challenge of climate change and the rupture in George's friendship with former President Donald Trump. Mike asked George first to reflect on the business in 2021. We have seen increase in demand on all the sectors that we are in, not only for South Florida, but everywhere that we are in the United States. We've taken that opportunity given to us and expanded our pipeline to develop both rental and for sale products of all type uh, ranges, all economic ranges, all over the place. So we are today, in uh, this year, we've been uh, developing in, in South Florida, which continues to be our base, in Tampa, Florida, in Orlando, in Jacksonville, St. Petersburg, Atlanta, and all the cities around Atlanta, the Carolinas, Texas, and Arizona, in addition to developing in, in South America. So we have taken advantage of that huge demand coming from everywhere into South Florida. We're seeing an, an, an immense influx, not only of people, uh, but of businesses uh, relocating, uh, particularly from the Northeast and, and even from California, actually, taking advantage of the open air, you know, uh, people were afraid of the pandemic and, and, and want places that are more open and more sunny, um, where you can breathe more freely. Uh, and in addition, taking care of the uh, favorable taxation that we have in uh, Florida as compared to uh, New York and northern, uh, northeastern cities. And John Paul, um, George talked there about that kind of influx of demand and to some degree that's been driven by the pandemic and that's been a story in the national news about the, the shift from those other areas into Florida. Um, do you think that's sticky? Will it continue, you know, hopefully we get past this pandemic as soon as possible. Do you think it will continue when the coronavirus is no longer, you know, headline news? Yeah, we're very bullish that it'll continue. And one of the factors that makes us believe in that is like my father said is the corporations that are moving down and signing long-term leases um, you know they're, they're not one year two year temporary leases these are companies signing 10 to 15 year leases and major companies right blackstone d1 capital um, jp morgan tomo bravo out of chicago so you're also getting the midwest and what we've seen is you know the principles of those companies have come down and, and purchased real estate and, you know, their full employees haven't even moved in yet because of their spaces are being built out, right? So we still think there's going to be significant demand um, coming in from, from these, these markets. And what's the best way for a company like you or, or, you know, the real estate market to sort of capture that extra demand? You talked about the rental and the for sale market. Is, what's the best way to sort of profit from that influx of, of those corporates? So we're a pretty diversified company. So, you know, we not only do residential, but we have commercial and we have office. You know, all of the office that we have available has been leased, uh, especially in the last six months. And also we take advantage of it through, through the residential side of our business, which, which is not only condominiums, but it's also rentals. 
And, you know, we've launched, I want to say, four projects since, since COVID, and they've been a tremendous success. They've all are either 95%, actually 100% sold now, to one that launched three months ago, which is Baccarat in Brickle, and that is 65% sold in three months. So uh, the demand is strong, and, and we are, you know, we have a good pipeline to continue to meet that demand. In terms of meeting that demand, obviously one of the other sort of headline stories of this year has been cost inflation and construction cost inflation in particular. Are you seeing that hitting the business and how how did you see that being a persistent inflation over the next, you know, few years rather than a question of sort of the next few months? Yeah, that is definitely an issue that applies to everybody in the development business. Um, material pricing has, has definitely increased. Um, supply chain issues have been a problem, you know, getting stuff from overseas. Um, so all of that is, has, has caused construction pricing to increase, but I don't think those types of increases are sustainable. Uh, one perfect example of that is the lumber, the cost of lumber, where all of a sudden we were paying $500 per linear board and it spiked to $1,600 linear board. And then two months later, it came back down to 600 so I think it'll work itself out, but I think that is one of the biggest factors that could slow down new construction projects getting started. If I can add something to that effect, when John Paul said we opened up four uh, new projects, he meant condominium projects in South Florida. Um, we are uh, now, and in the next six months, probably opening close to 70 projects around the United States. In condominiums, not only we have the ones that John Paul mentioned, but we have opened very successfully uh, condominiums in Tampa, condominiums in Jacksonville, and, and other areas around the country. So, you know, our, our response to that has been uh, very aggressive. But like John Paul said, we think this is going to be staying for a while for two reasons. One is the pent-up demand um, that was not uh, satisfied during COVID. We're going to see that for the next few years. And of course, the other one that he mentioned is all kinds of corporations. I mean, I can't think of one that is not either not moving or considering a move, a move here. Um, so um, we are very aggressively uh, pursuing um, this change um, in demand that we're seeing. And, and as he said, uh, previously people were moving here to a large extent to buy second homes. That has totally changed. You know, people are moving here to make permanent, you know, decisions. You know, the corporations, as I said, are, are almost every corporation that I know is considering both the financial sector and the technology sector is moving here. Um, so we are very bullish. Uh, and at the same time, because we've been through so many ups and downs in Florida, we're very careful. So we're assessing demand all the time. Um, and we have been known uh, whenever we see a slowdown to step down and say, we're not continuing with this project. So um, we don't want to do what everybody did uh, in 2008 in which they just went crazy uh, and overbuild um, uh, the market. We are being uh, very careful 
uh, not to commit those same mistakes. Are there any markets or sub-markets where you're seeing signs of oversupply already or do you think we're not quite at that point of the cycle yet? So far, not not really. Um, both the dem- our apartments, for example, are probably now 98% occupied. You know, we have no vacancies. Um, um, uh, and, and this is in every market that, we're, that, that we are so far. Um, some markets um, are perhaps being, uh, we're seeing a lot of construction in markets that are smaller, uh, for example, in the Carolinas, but the, but the growth in those markets is immense. Companies that really want to relocate outside of the Northeast, um, everywhere from manufacturing, as I said, to technology, um, finance, services, and so forth. Um, one of the things that you talked about and John Ball talked about is in another type of market with the construction costs, which are our biggest worry, right? Construction costs have moved uh, up, as John Paul said, uh, because of several factors. We have been very fortunate um, that rents have moved actually higher than our construction costs. So when we were ready to do a project and the construction costs came up by 15%, for example, in the same market, the rental rates went up by, say, 15%. And, and you have to remember that construction is only part of the total cost, probably 50% of the total cost of a project. Rents are 100% of the income of a project. So if you have a 15% increase in rents and you have a 15% increase in construction, okay, your returns are probably better than they were before. So the increase in construction costs, which while a huge concern for us going forward, is uh, has not uh, dampened our ability to continue um, uh, building. Does that rise in rents, does that create an affordability issue for the city? And do you worry that Miami perhaps goes the way of a, a New York or a San Francisco where the city fundamentally changes because of that affordability issue? I think Miami's already there. I mean, I think probably our biggest issue um, is housing affordability. Um, And that's one of the reasons that we have a very strong affordable housing division. We're building thousands, literally thousands of units in the areas that we're in, particularly in Tampa and in South Florida, of affordable housing because we want the cities to be a place where everybody can... Uh, live and work within close proximity. Uh, We don't want to have our workers, you know, have to drive two hours to get to their jobs. A is bad for them. Uh, uh, It is a huge burden and environmentally is not sound when you're using the car to move such long distances. Um, So, yes, it is a huge problem. Um, I think the government, uh, you've seen already the Democratic administration, uh, announcing that they're going to be spending uh, large sums of money to try to increase the affordable housing stock. John Paul, you grew up in the area. You know, you've seen it change. You know, immeasurably, probably across your across your life. What, what's Miami and, and the sort of South Florida area going to look like in in ten years' time with all these changes that we're seeing? I think you're going to con- so just in the last two years. If you just look at the restaurants that have come to Miami, right? All of the best restaurants from New York, from outside of the United States, are all wanting to have a location in Miami. 
right? And the re you know, I think that's a sign that they want to be where the population is going. So I think you're going to continue to see the entertainment, the dining, the shopping continue to grow. Um, so we are, you know, becoming a, a city, world-class city, like I think we already are a world-class city, but closer and closer to a New York, but just a different style, right? Like the New York of the South. Um, so I think we're going to have a very big financial center other than just financial f uh, center for South America. It seems like more of a financial center similar to New York where high paying jobs that were never here before are here and they're here to stay. Um, historically, Miami was sun in the fun, very tourism based um, economy. Uh, and what's happening is we're becoming much more diversified. So not dependent on only one sector, but multiple sectors now. Um, and again, what's really important is the high paying jobs that we're going to have locally, which then fuels a local demand for our real estate. You were behind or you were involved in a bit of a diversification move for related. You know, you went into areas that traditionally the company hadn't been in, like Wynwood, etc. Tell me about what you're up to in some of those other areas and, and what was behind that decision and where might you expand to next in terms of diversifying the company? Well, Wynwood was a good example of me trying to do what my father did for 40 years, where he saw a neighborhood that that really had no development yet and and became very quickly the biggest developer in that neighborhood. So, you know, he did it in south of Fifth, which is in Miami Beach, where um, before we went in there, there was there was no new condominium building. It was really just older retirement, um, low rise buildings and ended up buying, you know, basically all of that neighborhood and built, I think, six or seven towers there. Uh, it's the same thing that happened in, in downtown with One Miami, where we, we were the first to go in and then, you know, tried to acquire as many sites as possible because we knew that we were going to create value. So we wanted to take advantage of that. Um, so that's when I saw an opportunity in Wynwood that really had no vertical development, but it had a lot of people. People love to go to Wynwood. They love to go and shop and love to eat and spend time. So we very quickly acquired, um, I think we've, I think we, we completed two projects there. We have another four under construction and another three planned. Um, so went very aggressively into that neighborhood and, and, and have transformed that neighborhood to now a real neighborhood where it's live, work and play. Um, so we're very bullish on that market. Um, that's a perfect example of you know, we, we did mixed use and, and, and built our office as part of our development. And we leased an entire building to tenants from Silicon Valley. Uh, and that was right after COVID. Um, so that was a very good uh, sign um, that, that we saw this migration happening. And actually, we'll now be selling that building at the highest price per square foot that an office building has ever sold in Miami. What stage is that sale at? It's hard buyers under contract, hard non-refundable deposit as of yesterday, and they're closing in January. Good stuff. And so looking to buy more in that market? We always are, yeah. We, we, we have three under construction, another two planned, and we have our sites on uh, another couple large sites there to do large mixed-use projects. And so what's going to be the new Winwood for you? Where next in terms of other sub-markets? John Paul has been great at, at looking at markets. Um, um, 
we look at trends, right? We develop neighborhoods. We look at we look at where 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 movement almost has to go in order for the city uh, to move. Um, so Edgewater, for example, uh, here in Miami, just right north uh, of downtown, heavily moved in Edgewater. Actually, created our own neighborhood called the Paraiso neighborhood. Um, so we're constantly searching, you know, uh, for those areas. Uh, right now, for example, in West Palm Beach, uh, where everything was in downtown or in, you know, the Clematis area or City Place, which now is called Rosemary Square, we looked at the neighborhood right north of it, and we're having a huge development called Transit Village. We think the growth is going to go there, and we're going to do a huge mixed-use development there. The same way we moved on the water north of Palm Beach, where we're building a project by Rival Beach Marina, which is going to be, I think, an incredible job. So at, at Tampa, in Tampa, we looked at the area which is directly uh, next to downtown, which was a sort of forgotten area, and we're going to be building probably 6,000 units in, in partnership um, uh, with the city. So we, north of Wynwood, we're trying to develop an arts community. We were probably going to call it North Wynwood, uh, banking on the name already. So I think this has been a tradition, you know, I think John Paul is following on that tradition, is... We don't, although we are in areas that have already been proven and we have very, very expensive product. For example, we will be doing the most expensive condominium on Brickell on the water, you know, which will be um, um, ha having the services and the branding of uh, the St. Regis, um, the St. Regis hotel chain. Uh, this will be the most expensive project in the area. We will have the most expensive project in other areas that I think I can't mention now, but are proven very, very high-end areas, you know. Uh, and we look at areas like Fisher Island, Ball Harbor, Brickell Avenue, things on the water that are incredibly expensive. Um, we're doing the same thing also in Palm Beach. We're doing the same thing in Tampa. So in addition to discovering these new locations, we're doing very, very expensive product in uh, key locations that are, that are very high-end. But it really is um, a, uh, you know, to me, discovering, you know, new places that other people have not been able to do is, um, is uh, very rewarding. Uh, it's very rewarding because we're helping the city grow in different places. And it's also very rewarding economically because if we come to a place, for example, that has not been used before, like when we started going into Wynwood, remember, we're buying land at prices that uh, nobody else is even, you know, touching. Now those areas that we have gone into, uh, you know, the land prices have doubled, tripled. You know, so we have a huge economic advantage of coming into those places early. In terms of on the political side, you've been a sort of donor to the to the Democrats in the past. How do you think President Biden's policies uh, have impacted the real estate market? I think they're going to have a very positive impact. You know what you know what President Biden is doing. You know, President Trump tried to pass a large infrastructure bill that could never get passed. You know, so now. 
they're actually going to be spending trillions of dollars in uh, what's much needed, infrastructure, health, housing, um, and that is going to have a very beneficial effect. You know, it's going to spur even more growth in the economy, and real estate will be um, a direct beneficiary to that. Then some concern that when you start spending that type of money, there will be inflationary um, pressures, and those could uh, those could increase mortgage rates, for example, which could have somewhat of a dampening effect. But we have found that in days of in times of inflationary times, as long as the you know the the mortgage rates stay within reasonable amounts and nobody's predicting that mortgage rates are going to go into double digit numbers then then i think uh what president biden is doing is going to be both good for the country and then of course good for you know for the real estate industry have you spoken to president trump recently um no we are not in great speaking terms um as we are um we have different philosophies as to as to how to run the country and where to spend the money. And those, you know, change because of um, we disagree on uh, public health. We disagree on the environment. We disagree on uh, foreign affairs and, you know, immigration. So uh, that has caused a, a sort of break in, in our personal relationship. John Paul, in terms of the company in the future, you know, I've read that your father has sort of said, Climate change is something that he didn't have to sort of deal with or think about when he was building the building the business. As you take it forward, I imagine it's something you very much will have to think about. Is is it sort of changing what you build, where you build it, how you build it? How do you f- see you know the kind of impact of climate change influencing a business like yours over the next years and decades? Well, I think climate change is a global issue, right? It's not directly. We're not. Miami is just not the only one that has to deal with the climate change. Um, but what we do is, you know, a lot of the th- designs that we, we're building to now, we're b- looking for 100 years from now, 200 years from now. So the elevation of the lobby and the first habitable floor is all raised to take into a consideration the possibility of, you know, the climate change and the effects of that. So we do take into consideration a lot of that. We work with, you know, the local government to sort of help do our part. And um, I think the way to, to that, the only way that this is going to be um, tackled is it has to be, um, you know, a, a partnership between local and, and governments to, to come up with solutions to help combat climate change. Do you see any of those solutions coming through at the moment? Yeah. So Miami Beach has been, you know, very, um, at the forefront of, of this. And, and, you know, they raised roads, they put in additional pump stations, and it's been working. So, so they will, they're raising the roads. So, so they, they will, you know, they're going to continue to do that. That was a test, and it, and it worked. Um, there's a bunch of studies of increasing the seawall around Biscayne Bay. Um, so, you know, it's being thought about, it's being talked about. Um, the Aspen Institute's coming to Miami in March, which is huge for Miami. And that whole one of the topics there is climate change and how do we come up with solutions, right? So it's it's a topic that's talked about and and you know we're all working hard to try to figure out um, the best solutions. You talked earlier about kind of learning from your father in terms of you know moving into other areas and sort of you know building up you know neighborhoods. Um, 
What have you learned from him about running a company? And I know you sat next to him, so you're going to have to say really nice stuff. But uh, what have you learned about, you know, being a leader, running a company from, from watching him and working for him? Look, you know, being the leader, you, you, you need to set the example, right? And that's every day. You can't have a day where you don't feel like doing it because it, it comes off to your employees, right? So your employees need to see that every day you are coming in with as much passion and dedication to, to make sure that we're successful. There's no days off. Um, it's actually harder being, you know, the, the, the founder's son because the expectation is more, right? So even when I came in as a development associate, I had to work harder than the next development associate, right? I needed to prove to myself and to him and, and also the senior executive team that, that I could be at some point the one running this company, right? And have their respect. So, you know, I think the hardest thing is, is that you never can turn it off. You, you are always the one that's worrying about what happens next, what happens in the future. Um, so, you know, it's a 24-7 job. And, and luckily, I, I grew up in real estate and was going to projects when I was, you know, after a soccer game at six years old, seven years old. And, and uh, I, I just love the business. George, you know, you've I read again in an interview that you never really expected to be a, a real estate developer, that your sort of passion as a younger man was philosophy and literature. So who are you going to be reading more of uh, as you maybe have a little bit more time in the, in the future? Look, yeah, you're right. I never expected that, I, but I always had the passion, right? I mean, I, in John Paul, you know, I think hit to it, right? I mean, I think if I would have been a, a gasoline uh, attendant pumping gas, I would have probably owned 50 gas stations by the and 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 I just always have believed, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I, you know, I, I, I work harder with more passion than anybody else, right? So how do you translate this passion as John Paul and then and then Nikki and and hopefully my younger son who also likes real estate and is now going to college as they bring the company into into a new world, you know, um, which is so rapidly changing that I become less more and more obsolete um, and and I'm very fortunate you know that I have other passions um, philanthropy is a huge passion for me I get very 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 involved um, and it's very meaningful to me you know we had our whole family philanthropy uh, talk yesterday and it's just moving you know the stuff that we're doing to help others uh, achieve whether it's in the arts or they're homeless or education so that's very very important and then of course art as you can see from everything that's around you is a huge passion of mine you know I probably devote uh, from four to six hours a day you know studying um, art to build a collection not for myself but uh, to really leave it for to Miami so part of that legacy of the Perez legacy, as I call it, would be that they have created a great, great world-class art collection that will go to a public institution that not only our family uh, will be able to enjoy, uh, but everybody in Miami and all those people that visit Miami uh, will be able to enjoy. Just to finish off, John Paul, it's your time and your, and your brother's time now in terms of the company. What would success look like for related, you know, Fast forward 10 years, 15 years, you know, in terms of your, your time, what would success look like uh, in, the, in the future for Related? I think that we can continue to build neighborhoods, 
um, that we continue to add to skylines. We make cities better. Um, we continue to do a project set that, that are landmark projects, that are legacy projects. Um, so continue with all of the divisions we have, not only from the most expensive, but also continue the affordable housing. You know, that's where we started. And, and I think that division actually makes the most meaningful impact because you're providing housing to people that really, really need it. Um, so we want to be a company that is known for, for also giving back to communities that we're in. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. That was wonderful. That's Mike Phillips, BizNow's London editor, speaking to related groups George and John Paul Perez. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, please like it and subscribe as it helps other people to find us.